Welcome to the Active Listening Podcast. In this episode, I had the great pleasure of chatting with someone who has inspired me and has been a huge part of my faith journey. Sarah Bessie is a best-selling author, a preacher and speaker, a mom to four and a wife. She lives in BC with her family and is a champion for women everywhere in her own special fiery way. I am so grateful for the trail she has blazed. So listen in and join me in this conversation on church and women. Let's begin. Well, welcome to the podcast today, everybody. I am super thrilled to be able to chat with Sarah Bessie. She's a best-selling author and a mom and wife and a preacher, and she loves people so much. So welcome today, Sarah. Oh, thank you so much. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, so I feel like I know you pretty well from reading all your books and following you on social media. But for the listeners out there who may not have heard of you yet, can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Uh, sure. Um, well, not, I mean, on a dark and stormy night. No, that <laughs> <laughs> never ends well. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Uh, so I'm a writer. Um, I've written three books. My first one uh, was called Jesus Feminist, um, which is a nice, soft, easy topic to introduce yourself to the world with. <laughs> Uh, my second book was Out of Sorts, about making peace with an evolving faith. It was a book that I wrote that grew out of my own experience of mm-hmm. deconstruction and then beginning to the process of rebuilding uh, my faith on the other side of the wilderness or even, you know, within the wilderness and what that might look like. Yeah, that book was a and, big deal for me. Oh, good. I'm mm-hmm. glad to hear that. I, I really love that one. And that's actually the book that gave rise to uh, the Evolving Faith Conference that I run. Um, I started it initially with uh, one of my dear friends, uh, Rachel Held Evans, and her book, Searching for Sunday, had just come out, and, and Out of Sorts had come out, and we just kind of uh, joined forces in, in a lot of ways, and so that was a, a fun kind of origin point, actually, for the conference as well. But, yep. And then uh, my third book just came out last week called Miracles and Other Reasonable Things, and it is more of a memoir about grappling with healing and narratives around miracles and having both grief and faith at the same time. Um, I speak and I preach and um, run a conference, as I said, and uh, been married for 19 years now mm-hmm. to my husband, Brian. We have four kids. We live out west in a city just outside of Vancouver, uh, but I grew up more in the prairies in Canada and still consider myself a prairie girl by ethos, I think. <laughs> yeah. That's great. I think that's pretty much everything, right? (laughs) Aside from like your insane love of Doctor Who and Anne of Green Gables (laughs) and all of that, but you know. My unrelenting fandom, yes, (laughs) I am one of those people. I I always joke, I'm like, I may not be evangelical either ever or maybe (laughs) anymore, but I'm very evangelical in how I feel about my shows. (laughs) Hey, we all have something. How to convert everybody to the shows that I like. (laughs) Yep. So that's fantastic. So you've written about your faith journey in your books. Um, can you share a little bit about what your experience with church was like growing up and how that's kind of changed a bit over the years? Uh, sure. Um, you know, my experiences with church, I think, mirror a lot of people's within. I mean, the, the details maybe are, are quite different or particular to each one of our stories. But I think like a lot of people, there's a, a path of spiritual formation that we tend to follow. Um you know, that you have your kind of initial, uh, the philosopher Ricoeur calls it your first naivete, mm-hmm. just where you're just, you just believe it and love it. 
Right. right. And that was definitely my case. Um, my parents are first generation Christians and um, I have very, very clear memories of our life before and after um, Jesus and before coming to faith. And it, they're very sweet memories to me. Um, in a lot of ways, I was alongside of my parents. Uh, we grew up together when it came to faith and we, um, you know, found ourselves in sort of that you know, charismatic renewal movement, word mm-hmm. of faith kind of stuff that was happening in the 80s. And um, of course, we didn't know, right? We didn't know there were different kinds of Christians. I mean, it wasn't our, my parents had, you know, walked away from God or anything like right. that. It's just like my, my parents, grandparents were the last generation who were in church in our, our, our neck of the woods. Yeah. And so in a lot of ways, um, my experiences with church when I was young were very innocent, um, very clear-eyed, uncomplicated, God was good, you know, Jesus was just everything to us. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of ways, there's, I have a lot of gratitude um, for the church that mothered me. Um, But I think the shadow side of how we were introduced to God and how we worshiped and what we believed about the Bible or um, about our place in the world even um, was overly simplistic and certainly over-realized. Mm, yeah. And in a lot of ways, um, I, I think the person who best sums it up was Barbara Brown Taylor in her book. She It's called uh, Learning to Walk in the Dark. And she talks about how there are solar Christians, and that was us. Mm, <laughs> it's like yeah. Our answers exist in that light of certainty, like it was full sun all the time. Mm. You only knew Jesus through a narrative of victory and overcoming and always being on top. And so for me, that I think for anybody who lives for longer than a hot second, you realize <laughs> that that's not always true. Yeah. That if the story isn't true for everyone, it's probably not the gospel. Right. And the insufficiency of a language and a theology and even an anointing for the experience of being human, of suffering, of loss, of grief, of um you know, the very real things that almost everybody will have touched their lives in some capacity. Um, what does it mean to find God in those places? And we had no language for that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was kind of the origin point of my deconstruction was the sense of, well, all the answers I've been given don't add up anymore. Right. All the ways that I taught to understand God or church or scripture or whatever else, these feel very insufficient. And I was filled with a lot of skepticism, which I think like a lot of people can often turn towards anger and, um, you know, not necessarily wrong, right? There's nothing necessarily wrong with anger. And so I think that was kind of the origin point mm-hmm. and the tipping point for me um, in terms of church. But what I found is very similar to what a lot of, you know, philosophers and and teachers who who kind of lead through a lot of spiritual formation work, you know, Richard Rohr calls it order, disorder, Mm -hmm. you know, chaos, reorder. And in a lot of ways, that pattern, you know, has been less of a linear one in my life than a circular one, where oftentimes I still feel like I'll feel that, okay, I've got everything settled. I've got my order all set up. And then all of a sudden chaos or something will throw off the order of how I've understood the universe or God or, you know, scripture or whatever else it is, particular yeah. issue. Right. And then you have to rethink it again. Mm-hmm. And I think what I have learned through that process is that that reordering, that disorder, that sense of, of um, disorientation even is not my enemy, but instead an invitation from the Holy Spirit that there's something good 
waiting in the wilderness on the other side of that. And it's not anything to be afraid of. Oh, that's, really that's probably more answer than you needed, but <laughs> that's okay. I love it. Might as well share more. Um, so then have you ever felt like you didn't belong in church or that you couldn't hold a position of leadership because of your gender? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, you know, I, I took a number of years away from church and organized religion altogether. And I think I've always been someone who felt a little bit on the outside edge of the inside mm-hmm. when it came to the institutions. Um, I think that in a lot of ways, um, and if I feel like that, I mean, for heaven's sake, let's be honest here. I'm a straight, white, married mother. Yeah. <laughs> the church is right. pretty much set up for people like me. Yeah, <laughs> so, I'm with you on that one. That, if even I feel like that, right, how much more are people whose lives don't, you know, tick all the boxes of, mm-hmm. of what women in church are supposed to be, right? And so um, I think that the question of not being able to hold a position of leadership because of gender is an interesting one for me and my um my tradition, because my tradition, um, you know, with roots in the Pentecostal movement and the charismatic renewal movement, um, actually has had a lot of room for women mm-hmm. in ministry. Um, there's some really fantastic and, um, generational stories, especially in the twenties about women leading and church planting and, um, just the amount of work and goodness that came through a partnership with men and women within the tradition. And so that's always been something that we've kind of celebrated or patted ourselves on the back for. Mm -hmm. And yet I have found that in the last number of years with the resurgence of the biblical patriarchy movement, um, often, you know, cataloged or called complementarianism had a, had a big rise again in the 80s, that in a lot of ways we've lost ground. Um, and in traditions that once prided themselves on being very egalitarian have now functionally become patriarchal. Right. And so even if they don't, you know, say, for instance, have a white paper in the denomination saying, you know, oh, women can't preach, functionally women don't. Mm-hmm. And women aren't hired. Right. Uh, women aren't you know, uh, invited to the table of leadership. And if they are, it feels very conditional. And so in some ways that can be a complicated question because it's almost more straightforward if people will say straight up, no, we don't have women on our elder board or we don't have women who, you know, teach or preach or lead mm-hmm. or whatever, versus when you have communities that say, oh yeah, we're absolutely or hundred percent for that. And then actually never do it. Right. <laughs> because you get, you get all the benefits of having the right opinion without actually having to change your, your way of doing things. Yeah. Um, and so I think that, you know, leadership and women's leadership in the church is a real opportunity, um, that we still have right now. Um, I don't think I could have realized, you know, back in 2012 when I was writing Jesus Feminist, how (laughs) relevant it would still be now. Mm -hmm. Um, sometimes it feels like it was, you know, even a bit ahead of its time in some of those conversations because, um, yeah, I just don't believe that God's dream for the world was ever patriarchy mm-hmm. in any fashion or any form. Um, and in a lot of ways, when I wrote that book, it was with an eye less on giving like this very big, you know, Christian feminist theological stance, right, on mm-hmm. things. Um, it, for me, it was always a book about the kingdom of God and what it looks like when men and women are both empowered yeah. to embody the gospel. Um, in every sphere of influence, not simply just within the church, and what that looks like for not only our own flourishing, but the flourishing of our communities, of our churches, of our marriages, of mm-hmm. our friendships and relationships, of what that means for justice in the world, what it means for our neighbors, 
Um, I think that there's a, a, a lot of our theology that tracks its way back to what we actually think about the nature and character of God mm-hmm. in that. Well, that's so good. Um, because you are more of a prominent figure right now and for um, those in the evolving faith and, and all of that, um, how do you respond to, say, the uh, naysayers or people who don't believe that women should be preaching or holding prominent spiritual uh, positions? How do you handle that? Um, well, it doesn't slow me down very much. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. Um, we need yeah. people who just keep plowing right on through. I guess I, you know, I think that maybe that even is a is part of maybe the um, the sense of calling or where we feel like our vocation or our lane lies. I have never felt like my lane is one of debate and convincing people. Mm-hmm. My lane is more one of simply embodying and moving ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for people who don't believe that women should preach or be, you know, spiritual leaders um, or have equality, um, you know, I think that in a lot of ways I'm not waiting for their permission and I don't think any of us need to wait for their permission. Um, if that is work that they're wanting to do, if they're wanting to be, you know, engaged and, and learn and, and hear why, um, you know, there's a lot of resources and, and places where they can, you know, kind of re- wrestle through some of those questions. Um, to me, it was not a matter of me be, you know, somehow doing some, you know, hermeneutical gymnastics with scripture or with the church tradition in order to become a feminist. To me, it was 100% following Jesus that that actually led me to be identifying as a feminist. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe that the Bible and that the early church and that the traditions of the church uphold a way that is countercultural to the world's ways of patriarchy. And it is just a real shame that we have lost that narrative, that we've lost that plot that we were, we could be a prophetic community of uh, what things look like in the kingdom of God. And so for me, I mean, I guess, you know, maybe that's one of the benefits of coming up, you know, in blogging back in the 2000s, because, I mean, I don't know, you can't really be a people pleaser and approval addict on the internet for very long. (laughs) (laughs) No, They'll they'll cure you of that right quick. (laughs) Yeah, right. In a lot of ways, I think that that's a good, tra- it was a good training ground for me, I think, especially as someone who is prone to avoiding conflict and, and would like for everybody to be at peace with each other, um, learning to hold that tension of saying, you disagree, you can think I'm a heretic, you can think, you know, I remember one time being called an evil leftist menace to the gospel, which was one of my favorites. Wow. And at the same, that doesn't enter into your heart or your life, or mm-hmm. it doesn't need to impede the work that you feel God has given you to do and even your sense of joy in it. Um, I don't, I don't necessarily write or work or minister, you know, for those folks. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm doing it for Jesus. Yeah. And then if, if it does land with some people, great and bring greater freedom and life and flourishing to them even better. And, uh, and I'm always surprised at the ones for whom that happens. Mm-hmm. There are people who, by all, you know, weights and measures should, you know, not have changed their mind or had their hearts opened to a different way, perhaps of being in marriage, for instance, or in uh, church leadership. Um, and yet the Holy Spirit is at work, not me. And so it's a really beautiful thing to be able to participate in that when that happens for people. And if it doesn't, I mean, that's, that's God's work, not mine. Yeah. Um, so you've talked about how you do work with women in uh, Haiti, 
what first inspired you to take up the cause for women on the margins especially and um, in places where they aren't seen necessarily? What inspired you to do that? Um, you know, I think I've always had a real, um, I think, posture towards women, right, just from a really young age. I think that um, I've always just loved it. I've, you know, always loved being in groups of women and, and in friendships with women um, and had a great passion for the capacity of mm-hmm. women. Um, I think that one of the things that was a, a big turning point for me was um, beginning to listen to stories that were different than my own. Mm-hmm. Uh, in a lot of ways, we can have our understanding of femininity or understanding of, of womanhood or understanding of scripture or church or whatever else it is filtered only through ourselves or through people who look like us or sound like us or have very similar life experiences. Um, and the becoming someone who had an ear out for the ones for whom that story wasn't true or was different, uh, I found rather than unsettling my faith, it actually enriched it and made Mm. it deeper. Um, In a lot of ways, being alongside of other women who were engaged in the work of women's liberation and wholeness um, has also been a big influence on me. I have a lot of friends who are doing a lot of dangerous work, Mm. and they make it hard to be on the sidelines. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And so when you have women in your life who are engaged in in justice issues or in uh, peacemaking in any capacity, it just makes you want to be at their side. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I'm not under any illusions. I, you know, there's a lot of work to do in the world. Um, One of my favorite uh, proverbs is that when sleeping women wake, mountains move. Mm -hmm. And I've always felt like that is how my experience, you know, for instance, in Haiti, uh, my story intersected there a number of years ago. Um, I've always had a great passion for pregnancy and birth and Mm -hmm. midwifery as a model for care, especially in the developing world. And being able to come alongside of midwives and Haitian midwives and leaders and see indigenous communities rising up to look after women to ensure maternal mortality rates were there, that children were being raised. And I mean, just it was beautiful and life giving and, and just tips the whole balance in a community. Um, you know, and I think that being able to witness that sort of thing is the sort of thing that gives you hope. Yeah. There's a lot of things that will give us despair in this world. And you can either sit at home and wring your hands about it and say, look at the world just going to hell in a handbasket. Or you can pick up and say, we're going to make mountains move together yeah. and be a part of that company of people who are, however useless and small it feels at time, is still moving the needle forward. Mm-hmm. That is really inspiring. And it's so encouraging when your passions line up with ways that you can help and love others. That's really fantastic. So how do you believe that women can make a difference in the church or in their family and their community and as a result in the world? What are some practical things that we can do to love others well? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I, I think that there's a number of things that, that women can can do or, um, but I'm always a little bit wary of task lists or of adding, I feel like women already are laboring under like a tremendous amount of pressure. Right. (laughs) Yes. You know, you need to look a certain way and be a certain way. And I mean, just, there's never an end to all the ways of the world. And sometimes the church are telling us that we're not doing enough. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, I mean, I'm always a little bit hesitant to say, you know, or, or think that these sorts of things should be something that is, um, you know, adding to that burden, 
right? Or, or are contributing to a narrative of hustle more and do more and try harder. Um, and so in a lot of ways, I feel like some of the ways that women can um, engage, whether it's within their, their church or their family or their communities, um, is in a lot of ways engaging with what makes her feel most alive. Mm-hmm. You know, what are the things that, that God has placed in your heart or in your life where you feel that sense of energy and joy and pleasure and flourishing? And what would it look like to lean into that? What would it look like to say, maybe this is a, an invitation from God. What would it look like to stop saying yes to all the things you really wish you could say no to? (laughs) I think that uh, that's terrifying sometimes on a society that's predicated on women's agreement. But at the same time, um, I think one of the things that I would really uh, encourage women to do is to lean into both her joy and her anger. Mm, Um, Because somewhere at that intersection is usually where your calling is hiding. Mm-hmm. The things that are making you angry, the things that are, are upsetting you, the things that are keeping you up at night, the things that feel like a heavy yoke or a burden or something that is ill-fitting either for you or for this world. Um, but also the things that bring you joy, the things that make you feel like your most full self, the things that make you feel like, oh, this is why I was made. This mm-hmm. is why, this is what my thing is. Um, I always feel like if you are honest about both of those things, both your anger um, or your grief and your joy... Um, your path often will emerge for you and not in a way that looks like do more, be more, try harder, but more what are the things I can clear away in order to have a path to follow ahead of me that actually brings life. Yeah. And I know that I can often feel like, oh, my anger isn't something that I should be looking at or paying attention to because that's something that's negative. And how can something good come from negativity? Oh, totally. Right. Christian girls are told all the time, like, it's not good. Nice girls don't get angry. (laughs) (laughs) Or anybody nice doesn't get angry. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And so it can feel a little bit counterproductive. And I'm not talking about like the kind of, you know, petty self-indulgent. Right. Right. I'm talking about the things that are like right in your core where you're like, this isn't right. This isn't, this isn't how it should be. Yeah, totally. Um, I really like how you wrote in your book, Jesus Feminist, that said, stop waiting for someone else to validate your created self. That is done. Stop holding your breath, working to earn through your apologetics and memorized arguments, through your quietness, your submission, your home, your children, and your correct doctrine that God has already freely given to you. And I feel like that's just bang on, is that Hmm. sometimes we're just waiting for someone to tell us how we can help and how we should love or how we should support those around us when sometimes it's just right there and it's already been given to us and it's already inside of us yeah yeah absolutely I think that sometimes that's um whether it's because of personality or tradition or family of origin or you know cultural conditioning um women usually aren't the ones to put their hand up Mm mm-hmm right? They aren't usually the ones to challenge. Um, That's not always the case, but, you know, culturally, that's kind of the narrative that we've been given. And so this notion of always waiting for permission, of always waiting for someone to invite before you stand up or rise up or, you know, begin to be honest about your power and um, the work that God has given you to do and your voice, even Mm -hmm. learning to reclaim your voice and, um, you know, know who you are. Uh, that's work that's already been done. 
right? Because of the cross. And so to me, this idea of holding back or shrinking back and some misguided notion to prop up someone else's fragile masculinity is just shameful. Mm -hmm. I just, it's a, it's a shame is what it is because Mm -hmm. at the end of the day, I mean, anyone who requires you to be less than who God has made you to be, I mean, that's not making them more. Right. And so I think that in a lot of ways, you know, rising up of embracing that, of stepping out in faith, even, um, it will be disruptive. Um, and at the same time, it will be something that brings freedom and goodness in mm-hmm. life, not only for you, but for the people around you, mm-hmm. right? That yeah. you're, you're more, you're your most full self then in your friendships, in your community, in your school, in your work, you know, you're bringing your full self instead of just a half self then. Right. Totally. You mentioned earlier about how God taught you about mothering and I would really love it if you could share more about the female side of God and how you shared in your book miracles and other reasonable things about mothering and relating that to God. I would really like to hear your thoughts on that. Oh, sure. Um, You know, it's a hard thing to, I think, talk about, you know, quickly because a lot of people have a very, um, I don't know, complicated Mm -hmm. relationship with the idea of mothering. Um, either because of how they were mothered themselves or their experiences of being a mother. Um, you know, it's not a clear-cut Hallmark commercial, <laughs> right? Yeah. It can have a lot of nuance and complication and heartbreak and betrayal within the notions of mothering. Um, you know, my my personal story was that I was mothered very well. And so in a lot of ways, um, being able to open you know, scripture and be, begin to see the metaphors of God as a mother um, was this was an easy one for me. Um, and then becoming a mother myself and becoming someone who cares for and ministers to and is raising, you know, these people that we've been trusted with mm-hmm. um, reopened that again for me, right? Of seeing what that looks like and what it means to embrace and understand and name God as our mother just as much as our father. Um, and so to me, I feel like there is something that really opens up, um, and shifts when we stop seeing God as just male. Um, when we begin to say that God is, that we are all made in the image of God, both male and female. Mm-hmm. Um, and you begin to look for all those ways and all those, uh, stories and moments in scripture. It, it really is, um, I think a path of spiritual formation and discipleship that is a very needed, um, counterweight to the overwhelming um, dominance often of the masculine or the, uh, you know, notion of God as father, right? Mm -hmm. It's not that there's anything wrong with that. That's beautiful. And it has a lot of meaning and historical tradition and richness for a lot of people. And you never want to take that away from anyone. I think the thing that I learned, though, was that that counterweight or counterbalance of the mystery and the maternal and the feminine and seeing God just as much in those expressions um, deepened and enhanced and, and made that such a, a better, um, more full picture, mm-hmm. I think, of what the love of God looks like in our lives. And, uh, and I found it very healing as mm-hmm. well. Yeah. I feel very similarly in my journey with discovering more of who God is, because it wasn't until I became a mother that I saw that side of God a bit more and realized, mm-hmm. oh, wait, no, if I'm made in his image, yeah, then 
there must be another side to him. And that's a side that I can really connect with and share with others because that's part of who I am. Mm -hmm. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think that um, in a lot of ways, that's maybe what has been missing you know, sometimes from that mm -hmm. conversation, and it does just bring in, I think this is sometimes what the church misses, going back to some of your earlier yeah. questions about, you know, having women's voices and experiences at the at the table. And that's not to say, of course, that women's voices and experiences are limited to that of mothering. Right. Um, but at the same time, having women at the table, having women in the pulpit, having women in positions of leadership and whose voices are being uh, fully listened to and embraced means that then you have a chance to hear aspects and sides of, of God that you maybe never would have known mm -hmm. or experienced. And in so many ways, I find that, um, you know, you know, I think uh, what we have said, right, you, you know, and love God better when you hear why people who are very different than you also know and love and follow God. Yep. Um, and it only brings greater richness and depth and color and life, right, to your own experiences mm -hmm. with God when you can hear that from other people. And so there's another reason why it's important to have people who are different from one another in the room and speaking to this. Yeah, I feel like it connects the divide a bit more between heaven and earth and makes him not small but more relatable to some people who aren't always like loud and boisterous or angry or whatever side warrior whatever side of god it is that a lot of people is associate with more um, masculine sides and to bring it in and into a, a hug, so to speak. That's like really comforting, I think, for a lot of people to realize I don't have to be a certain way for God to love me. Mm -hmm. And that's I really I think you're cool. right. I think that there's a sense of um, a lot of people have a, a wound even of the notion mm -hmm. of God as father, right? That it is something that almost was deployed against them or used against them or became, you know, a rod in their life, right? Yeah. And so being able to say, what are the the other names of God, the ways or the, the character of God um, that was always present, but just, you know, maybe this is a, a new doorway to connect with God when the other ones have slammed shut for you. Mm, yeah. So then how could we help support and encourage other women? And then how can the men in our lives also help to empower us to feel like, yeah, we can do what we love? Mm-hmm. Well, you know what I have found, I think this is one of the things that I have found most interesting is that oftentimes we're kind of fed this narrative that women are jealous and insecure and emotional <laughs> and this and that. And I have found that usually if you start to get to know women, that's not usually true. Yeah, right. <laughs> it seems like a lot of women are eager to cheer each other on. And I think becoming and being a woman who um, celebrates and affirms other women um, who looks for ways to, to elevate and um, advocate for and be on the team of other women, especially in your real walking around life. Mm -hmm. uh, I think there's something really compelling about that. I mean, a lot of times people will think that the notion of women's empowerment is just a power grab, right? Right. It's that you want power. You want to be the one who's in charge. You want to be the one in the pulpit, this and that. I have no interest in being in the pulpit <laughs> <laughs> or being anybody's 
Yeah. But I sure get a heck of a lot of fun out of making sure other women can. Right. Right. If that's what God has called them to do um, and wants them to do. And so being able to be alongside of other women, making yourself, you know, uh, someone who celebrates and affirms and calls out and names the things in the women in your life that you see that are glorious and good and strong, uh, clearing a path for each other. I mean, those are just really practical things that you can do uh, for one another. And I have found that, you know, just like it, and we hear all the time in scripture about the importance, those are seeds that you are sowing, right? All of mm-hmm. those things are seeds. And so, I mean, then you have our planting, right, for generations to come. I mean, I've always felt like it's so important. There's not a single time that I preach, not a single time that I don't have multiple people come up to me and say it was the very first time they'd heard a woman preach. Wow. Really? And it matters, right? So it matters. It matters because you can't be it if you don't see it if you don't see women who are walking in it so I think even having you know visibility and um, you know those sorts of relationships are great I mean in terms of you know a lot of the men in their churches right now um, I would say you know it's time to prayerfully consider laying down power Mm. right to releasing and relinquishing power and inviting more people to share in it Um, I think that it's a lot of times men will tell me well, there's just no women. Well, where are they? <laughs> Everything he just wants to, I don't know whether to laugh or cry, I think, in that yeah. moment, because um, they're there. They're literally sitting in your church. There's no need for you to fly me halfway across the country to come and preach in your church on a Sunday morning. There are women in this church who could be preaching every oh, yes. <laughs> and so I think one of the things that we can start to do is ask. Yep. You know, we can ask. We can say, uh, go in, if you see someone that you think has leadership gifts and has, if it was, I think a good, a good, you know, common question is, if this was uh, a man, would I be super excited to ask them to be on the ministry board? That's a good you know? one. Well, you probably would, right? Yep. So why aren't you asking her? Um, and so I think inviting and asking, being uh, in recognition and honesty about the power that you hold, whether it's, you know, admitted or explicit or implicit. Uh, and being someone who is a listener, um, taking a turn to be someone who lets other or, or turns your ear towards the voices that are already often speaking mm-hmm. within your communities and your churches. Those are all really practical, simple things um, that you can do. Yeah. And that's part of the reason why I decided to start this podcast with my husband as because I wanted to have a voice to be able to share people's stories. and Right. And this was an easy way to do that in a, in a way. And it's still a lot of work, but <laughs> it's really great that I have a supportive husband who's cheering me on and believes that I can do it, which then makes me believe even more that I can do it and that, yeah, people want to hear what I have to say. And it's good. And that yeah, other people have great things to say to you. And they're doing it. I yeah. mean, that's important and valuable work that you're doing. Yeah, that's really good. Um, so for the women and even the men who may be struggling to find their place in positions of leadership, whether it's church or otherwise, what words of encouragement would you have for them? You know, whether it is within a church community, I mean, again, everything is very subjective, mm-hmm. right? I think that this is one of the benefits that I, of being someone who's of the charismatic, you know, kind of Pentecostal wing of the, of the church is I get to be like, the spirit will show you Mm -hmm. (laughs) and meet it with my whole heart (laughs) because I think in a lot of ways, um, 
there's not one path for each one. There may be some people who are at a crossroad with their community um, and it is just time to move on. Right. It is time to find a place where you can flourish, where your daughters and sons can flourish, um, where you and your partner can, Mm -hmm. um, where everybody would be welcome. And so when you find yourself at that crossroads, I think that there's times when when people need to move uh, move forward with that. But then there's other people who feel very called to stay within slow to change institutions and structures and be part of a faithful witness of people who are slowly moving yeah. the needle forward. And so there's not one right answer or one right way to make sure that those things happen. I think the the most important thing is to draw very near to Jesus and to continue to be faithful, right? To just make sure that you are apprenticed to his way of, of doing and being things. Because that's at the end of the day, I mean, you could have all the right opinions in the world and you can tick all the boxes and be like, I have the right opinion on this and the right belief on that. But if you don't have the fruit of the spirit active and, and engaged in your life, if you're not a woman of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness mm-hmm. and even self-control, mm-hmm. I hear, <laughs> then you know, you're just a different kind of fundamentalist. Right. You're just a different kind of the same thing that you were before, just with a nice new tidy set of answers. And that doesn't, that doesn't bless anybody. That doesn't bring, you know, goodness and shalom and peace to anybody. And so I think that um, in a lot of ways, uh, words of encouragement I would have would be to draw near to God, to continue to lean in to those uh, places of, that you have been avoiding to look your questions and your doubts and your uh, hopes right in the eye and invite the Holy Spirit into that space and say, what now? Mm-hmm. And then pay attention. Yeah, that's really valuable to hear and really encouraging. Thank you. So one final question And that is, did you ever think that someday you would have the influence and the impact on people's lives that you do today? (laughs) I'll let my mother answer that. She (laughs) regularly looks at me and says, why you? Yeah. (laughs) You know, there, I, I don't know. You know, I, it's a, it's a real privilege and an honor to be invited into people's stories and lives. Um, There is, I don't think you could have found someone who was less set up for that sort of thing, or even, you know, my personality, my way of being, you Mm -hmm. know, my way of writing, all those kinds of things are just not the typical narrative that you hear for like a leader in the church or whatever. Um, And in a way, it's been fun then, because I just get to carve my own path. Yeah, right. And so, um, you know, I'm endlessly surprised and delighted, it could all disappear tomorrow, and that would be fine, too. But in the meantime, I want to steward it well. Um, It's a real privilege, I feel, to serve people and to come alongside of them, especially at a very tender moment in people's lives, which is usually when they encounter me in my work is when they have found themselves at a crossroads and they are wondering what they believe about God or uh, church or scripture or, or women or LGBTQ people or, you know, whatever else it is. They're just re- in a season of um, real tenderness mm-hmm. and disorientation. And I feel like it is just such a privilege to come alongside of people in that. And just at the very least, remind them that they do not need to be afraid that God is good and even better than we could have imagined. Yeah. And that's what you were for me really is that reassuring, gentle voice that shared and put words to what I was thinking and feeling when I couldn't say it for myself 
And that's Mm. what I have appreciated about you so very much is that you were that mother figure that was more prominent, who was able to love through the words that you were writing um, that I wasn't necessarily getting from other people because um, people can sometimes sound not the same, but they have a similar tone when they're speaking about bigger, tougher topics. Mm -hmm. And I so appreciated the way that you were gentle and the way that you talked about the things that you really cared about. And that really resonated with me, especially being someone who is also an Enneagram type nine um, (laughs) and wanting to, to keep the peace and be gracious. But also I do have pressure points and I can want to share my thoughts, but don't know how and when to do that. So thank you very much for that. Um, Thank you. Yeah. And as we close, I have one more quote from your Jesus Feminist book, and it said, Just as some men serve God in business and others in farmlands, some women serve God in missions and others serve God in their kitchens. There is not one way to be a woman. There is not one way to do women's ministry. There is only loving and serving God doing life together in the full expression of our unique selves, make room for them all and give glory to God. Mm-hmm. And I really liked how you summed that up so beautifully. Thank you. Well, thank, thank you, Sarah, you. for <laughs> being with us today and sharing your heart and sharing your thoughts on women in the church. And thank you. Thank you. I appreciate the conversation. Well, there you have it. Sarah Bessie, everyone. What an amazing conversation. I love her and I haven't even met her face to face. She's definitely a kindred spirit and I appreciate her insights on life and faith very much. So whether you are male or female, we can all encourage and support each other to be passionate and joyful, angry and empathetic. We can speak up and reach out through our words and our actions. No one is too good or too bad for this unique work of doing life together. May women have a voice in their homes and churches, businesses and nonprofits, in the fields and at bedsides. May we join forces for the greater good of humanity. Here's to women everywhere and the men that walk alongside us. May we cheer each other on. And just to reiterate, we may not always share the same viewpoints or opinions as our guests, but our desire is for people to feel safe to join us at the table and on this journey of life together. I may not come to the same conclusions on everything Sarah has, and you may not either but at least we can come together and bridge the divide with grace. If you'd like to hear more from Sarah, you can visit her website, sarahbessie.com, to see where she will be speaking next and to sign up for her Field Notes newsletter. You can also follow her on social media or read her books. If you have any questions or comments, please contact us at activelistening.life at gmail.com or leave a review on iTunes. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.